0: Just past seven o'clock, and boy, do we have another big one on tap for you tonight. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo as well. Ira, not in studio tonight because, you know, he's been taking in some Steelers football. We'll talk to him about that in just one second. But so much to get to tonight. NFL, baseball's free agency. At 730, we're going to have Jesse Darty. He's a a Washington Post writer for the Nationals. We're going to talk a little President's Cup. How impressive was that? And then at 750, George Howe Colt. He's the author of The Game. It's about Harvard and Yale. Facing off in 1968. That's going to be a really good one as well. A little bit later, here on Ira on Sports. Ira, like I I said you're not in studio, and I, I spoiled it already, but you're, uh, you're in Pittsburgh, and I, I'm assuming you didn't love the result yesterday.
1: No, I mean, I was pumped. I was ready to start the show saying the Steelers have this theme song called, I have a feeling the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl. And I don't know. I've, I have a hope now the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl, but the Bills are good. And the Bills are a team that, if they don't win the division this year, because they could be the top, potentially could still beat the Patriots next week, but they're a team on the rise. Sean McDermott, their coach, is a phenomenal coach. Um, they have their defense is four sacks, nine tackles for losses. Uh, Termaine Edmonds is their linebacker, just all over the field, and they have a quarterback in Josh Allen, who is not the big name of that draft. And we talked about Baker Mayfield by the, last year's draft, but he plays smart. They run the ball well with Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic, and this is a team that is just with an arrow shooting up for the Super Bowl in the next couple years.
0: You know, it's funny, and I brought it up on this show about a month ago that obviously you know Harbaugh and the Ravens are getting all the credit for tailoring an offense to Lamar Jackson's skill. The Bills are doing the same thing. Josh Allen did not have a great throwing performance yesterday, but they they got a big win and they're using Josh Allen's skills to get them wins. And that's what you should be doing in the NFL instead of forcing guys into a mold of what you expect your offense to be. Let's talk about this game, Ira. Um, Not your first time uh, taking in a, a Steelers game. So tell us about the experience
1: no I just I did go to the first time I ever watched the pre games in the casino, so they have a casino they just have a sports book and it was just awesome to be there um, it, with all the games on it it's like it 's a Vegas style casino where you can sit and everything's going on and Certainly when Washington covered against i mean when the uh, Eagles covered against washington, uh, everyone went crazy it, it's it's Great to be in a casino and to be in Pittsburgh and everyone's dressed in Steeler gear and Bills gear, Uh, but that was fun. And then the atmosphere outside, I have to say that I've been going to Steeler games for years, Uh, never seen so many opposing fans. The Bills contingent came down from Buffalo. I think the entire city just left because I've never seen that many many fans from another team. And I got to give them credit, they came out in force, they were loud, and uh, I mean that they they gave the Steelers what the Steelers usually give everyone else. I mean the week before in Phoenix. 80% 80% Steeler fans, and in and this case, I would say, I'm going to say 80%, but it was it was a good 10, 15% Bills fans, which was shocking to see at a Steeler
0: game. Okay, so let's get into the game itself. Um, you know, Ira, you were talking about Duck Hodges, and you know, not that he's the savior of the franchise or anything, but that he can win some games. Yesterday, definitely not his best performance.
1: It wasn't his best performance. He... They got James Conner back, and Conner looked great when he ran. He was eight carries for 42 yards. He caught a nice pass for a touchdown. But, Duck, I mean, his first he hit through four interceptions. Two were at the end of the game when they are trying to win it, and the first one was uh, 35-yard when he threw it, almost like a punt. But he, he wasn't sharp. I think, and I, and I want to attribute to the Bills defense, the second-best defense, they were showing him a lot of different looks that he wasn't used to, confusing him. Now there's a book out, they quote the book out on Duck Hodges so they know what, where his tendencies mm-hmm. are, and they were t- able to take advantage of it. And I, the Steelers defense, they came to play. They played great. And it was 0-0 uh, in the, for most of the first quarter, and then the Steelers had a bad punt. I mean, their punter has been great all year, but a 22-yard punt straight in the air, and, and the Bills came on and scored a touchdown. And then, uh, but too, with two minutes to go in the game, Steven Nelson intercepted Josh Allen, went down all the way down to the Buffalo 10 yard line, and, uh, uh, and the Steelers had a chance to go up 10 uh, 7, but they fumbled uh, on a direct snap. I mean, all these weird plays the Steelers try to use with the direct snaps and the wild card, Wildcats. It, it sort of didn't work. I mean, when it works, everyone says, "Oh my gosh, the Steelers are so innovative and they're so great." But if it doesn't work, it's a disaster. And uh, that was that was a, that was a bad. I mean, they could have they could have easily taken the lead uh, at that time, and, 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 and but they weren't able to. But uh, in the second half, the Steelers adjusted. I mean, they came out great. Hodges threw to DeAndre Johnson for 29 yards, and they scored, and went up 10-7. And then TJ Watt, who was all over the field. I know JJ Watt is the Defensive player of the year three times, tremendous. But his brother is now, he has staked to be a defensive player of the year one of these, one of these days. Maybe it's not this year. But he forced Singletary to fumble the ball, and they got the ball on the 43-yard line. But, again, Duck was just not sharp. He just wasn't making those third downs. Everything that he was good in all the previous games uh, didn't, you know, did not work. Um, and, but the Steelers got the ball back, and they ended up, they were down, they were ready, to, so they are up 10-7. They're driving down to go up 17-7, but this is the interception that Hodges threw. through. Just a terrible interception. I mean, they're down in, like, the 20-yard line, and the Bills run it all the way back to the Steelers' 20. They ended up tying it, making it 10-10. And then the Steelers punt. They punt it back to uh, the Bills, and the Steelers play this song called Renegade. And they go by sticks, and it just, they just turn out all the lights in the stadium. Everyone goes nuts, the terrible towels. Well, right after Renegade came on, uh, Allen threw a 60-yard pass uh, to Josh Brown for uh, um, 60 yards, and, and the, the Bills then ran over a touchdown make it 17-10. Steelers had their chances, though, because they drove down twice, uh, once at 4th and 7 on the 23 with like a minute and a half to go, uh, ducked through an interception on that play, and then the Bills had a chance to run the clock out, but they committed a penalty, which gave the Steelers another, like, minute to go and try to get because they used their two timeouts and again they go down to like the thirty six yard line uh and uh and duck through another interception with no time left. So I mean the Steelers were trying to score. They had to, they couldn't kick a field goal. They needed to score for a touchdown. Um, so it was a look, ducked was twenty three of thirty eight, two hundred two yards, one touchdown, four interceptions But it was just one of those games where the Bills' defense came in as advertised, and they hit hard, and they tackle one-on-one. And if you watch these games, you see these teams that are losing, and it's because they they can't do these one-on-one tackles. The Bills are able to tackle in space and get the Steelers down.
0: I, I agree with everything you said there, especially about the, this Bills defense. They are really good, and Ira, I can't be the only one here that that thinks that they're going to take out the Patriots next week, right? I mean, it's in Foxboro and the Patriots are going to be favored, but I got a really good feeling about the Bills.
1: I would. Uh, the Bills look great. The Bills really look like a team. I said I don't know if it's this year for them, but um, they. Their defense—they just tackle so well. It was interesting in the game. uh, Both Tremaine, as I said, Tremaine Edwards, their star linebacker, and Terrell Edmonds, the Steelers, are brothers. And they have the Steelers have another Edmonds brother who's a running back. He didn't play in the game, so there was actually three brothers on the field. Well, on sort of on the field, but playing in the same game. Uh, But that was pretty, pretty interesting. But uh, no, I think the Bills. I think the Bills have a very good shot against the Pats next week because the Pats are playing terrible and the Bills are playing great.
0: So, Ira, i got to ask. I think it was a four-interception game that got Mason Rudolph put on the bench in favor of Duck Hodges. Now Duck does it. you think there's any shot they're going back to Mason Rudolph?
1: No, not unless he has a terrible first half next week against the Jets. Um, there was a t- time in the game when he didn't look sharp, and, people, and he was warming up on the sidelines with Rudolph. And you saw that, and everyone like, oh, Rudolph might be coming in. But I, I, think, I don't think they're going to make the change unless he throws a bunch of – I mean, as I said, three of the interceptions were at the end of the Two were at the end of the game. One was like a punt. So I just think – I don't think the interceptions – the one interception was, was the killer, and the other – but he wasn't sharp on some of his passes. And, uh, and, and it was cold, but it wasn't windy. So he should have played better, Uh, and and maybe it's just the pressure is getting to him. I mean, it was all duck, duck, duck the whole time, and he had such a great run for the last few games. But in this game, the pressure, good defense and pressure just got to him.
0: You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the true oldies channel. I'm 714. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Iron, one of the games I was really looking forward to this weekend was Houston and Tennessee. I've got a real soft spot for the Tennessee Titans. We've talked about that. Houston is a strange team because you just don't know what you're going to get week in and week out for them. Sometimes Deshaun Watson, um, well, Deshaun Watson always looks good, but it's the rest of the team that you kind of just don't know what um, you're getting week to week. So, Houston did edge out in this AFC South matchup. Let's talk about it.
1: Well, eight, both teams are eight and five going into the game they're playing this week and then they're playing the last week of the season. They played this past week and the last week of the season. Um, the loser might be out of the playoffs I mean there's only seven teams for six spots, so the loser of this game and the loser of this division is, might be out of the playoffs because it looks like the Steelers would get in and as a sixth seed and the winner's going to host a playoff game because they're going to win the division. Uh, one of those one of the weird games where I thought Tennessee. In, in many respects, outplayed Houston. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Tennessee was driving in that first the, first, the first drive, they went all the way down to the one yard line. Anthony Frickster, uh, Tannehill hit him right going across the, uh, the goal line. He fumbles the ball, and Whitney Merciless of Houston, I didn't fumble, it was sort of an interception fumble, however you want to call it. It wasn't Tannehill's fault. And Merciless runs it all the way back. 86 yards, and then Houston scored and made it seven nothing. Uh, but uh, but it was one of those you know games where, where Tennessee was running well with Derrick Henry. Tannehill Hope, uh, Hope was sharp in his passing. looked great throwing touchdowns and everything, but uh, there was that one period of time where Houston just took that 24-14 to lead, and the Titans they made it 24-21 but just couldn't stop. Houston. Houston was able to run the clock out and, uh, and hold on for the win. Uh, it's bad, but the game was at Tennessee, so the next game's going to be at Houston. Just a, it's a bad loss for Tennessee. Uh, Mike is doing a great job with that team. The switch to Tannehill was the right move. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Mariota, but it's, uh, it, it, was, it was, it's, a, it's a bad loss for the Titans, but a really what, you know, I think the Texans, uh, they, Watson did what he had to, but the, the interceptions, he threw um, two interceptions that were just horrendous, like when they're driving for touchdowns, and, and the fumbles that he makes and the interceptions, it just makes me, if you were, were, were saying that Watson should be the MVP, he cannot make mistakes like that and be considered MVP, and he's going to cost them a chance in the playoffs sometime.
0: How about this guy AJ Brown who came out of nowhere? Basically, if you were in the fantasy playoffs and needed a receiver and picked this guy up a couple of weeks ago, used you know on the waiver wire, in most leagues, you're tearing it up right now. You got to be thrilled you got this guy um, as a steal. So, Ira, the talk of the NFL for this entire um, this entire week in between games was, of course, the New England Patriots up to their old tricks. It looks pretty damning, but they, end, they play Cincinnati this week, obviously, and it was a tale of two halves. The second half, the Patriots look like uh, they look like the Patriots.
1: Well, first of all, I think the tape controversy is ridiculous. I mean, they had someone for the website, and I watched the tapes, and still, so what? I mean, most of these teams are now just signaling, and they're not even using signals. They just call it on their headsets. So unless they're intercepting the headsets, they don't really have that much advantage. And they were filming something for the website for um, the advanced scout and showing what he does. The, advanced, the people for the Patriots were all wearing Patriots outfits. They all had Patriots like, on their logo, so we knew who they were. And they got credentials from the Browns. And then they were filming this guy, and, and, and it was a crew that clearly was, like, they were not doing it uh, separatistically or in camouflage or anything. And then the, Brown, the, the Browns, the Bengals guy comes over and says, look, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I didn't know we'd do that. We'll erase it. But I can't believe that this was done. Clearly it was a mistake, and considering their past history of taping, the sidelines. But, I mean, I watched the tape, and it's like, oh, it so does. who cares? I mean, it's a bunch of people. First of all, if you watch enough NFL games, you see the sidelines anyway. So I didn't. I think this was a whole much to do about nothing about this. I mean, they might. The NFL might do something to the Patriots, but it didn't appear to be like. I mean, everyone's making all they're going to lose draft picks and Belichick's going to be suspended for a year. I, I don't think anything. It'll be just like a fine or something like that. But um, again, the Patriots on defense. they're I mean, this game was weird because the Bengals stink. And the in New England on first downs was 19-19 on play. Ran, both ran 63 plays. And the uh, Bengals outgained them 315 yards to 291 yards. But the key thing is the Bengals had five turnovers and the Patriots had no turnovers. And uh, Gilmore, uh, Stephan Gilmore for the Patriots, two interceptions. One was a pick six. Uh, the the Patriots defense is back, but you know beating Bengals is nothing to be proud about. But the fact is, it was just a it was a it was a game hook. New England had to win. They clinched a playoff spot for the 11 straight times, 18 times under Belichick. Uh, but it's it's going to shape up for this New England this New England Buffalo game uh, next week is going to be enormous.
0: You know, and you mentioned earlier about T. J. Watt potential, uh, you know, um, defensive player of the year. How about Stephon Gilmore the season he's having? And that uh, that Patriots defense does look good. Like you said, it's it's the Bengals. You're supposed to hold them uh, to 13 points when you play them. Denver and Kansas City. I, I got to tell you, I thought this game would be a little bit closer, Ira, but uh, KC just throttled them.
1: Well, in the homes and the snow, I mean, first of all, you would think that if Kansas City, it was pouring down snow the whole game. I was there for that ice bowl game when the Steelers played them. I mean, the weather in Kansas City could either be like 60 degrees and sunny in the winter, or it could be horrendous, and it was just snowing and snowing and snowing. I mean, you wonder if they had a dome with the offense they had. I mean, they would be scoring 40, 50 points a game. But he was 27 for 34, 340 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Kelsey played like Gronkowski, 11 catches, 142 yards. Drew Locke, who had been playing well for Denver, you know, wasn't as sharp. But I think the Chiefs, the, the, the takeaway from this game is the Chiefs' defense is starting to improve. Uh, This is a four-straight game. They've held opponents for under 20 points. And, again, look, they played a team they should beat. They're favored, and they easily won 23-3. Didn't even make it look good. It wasn't even close. So Kansas City's trying to get that that second. I mean, they hope that New England loses, so they would jump into that uh, second uh, uh, um, spot in terms of with a bye. But uh, but Mahomes is playing well. He's healthy. I mean, everyone's concerned about his, his, his health from his, his knee from earlier in the season. But Casey looks like they're going. And I, and I was impressed with it, how much it was snowing and how their offense was just fine-tuned.
0: Well, speaking of uh, Kansas City, we know we're going to uh, see them in the playoffs. And they're going to have to face these guys at some point, probably. It's the Ravens. This team is so exciting to watch. Lamar Jackson, it just it continues to impress me more and more every single week. I...
1: We're going to talk about Joe Burrow winning the Heisen by the largest margin. I, mean, I don't think they don't even, I think, have a vote for the MVP this year. I mean, Lamar Jackson's going to be by acclamation. I mean, it was, it was another monster game with five touchdowns. This was on Thursday night, just destroying the Jets, five touchdowns passing. He carried the ball, 80, got 86 yards rushing. He broke Michael Vick's uh, uh, record of 1,039 yards. Um, the Jets had the second best uh, defense in the NFL against the run. The Ravens ran for 218 yards and now they've won 10 in a row, uh, the AFC North champion. And as a Steelers fan, I'm nervous. I mean, I don't want the Ravens to be the ten, the, uh, win the AFC North like nine years in a row. But, I am I mean, it was, again, they looked very methodical beating the Jets, and, and, and they look good. I mean, they're, again, their defense was a little uh, – defense gave up some points, but it was sort of like uh, – so there's some holes in it, but, boy, their offense is just – He's going great and that and I think when you look at the week before how the bills play the Ravens and the bills actually forced I said the Ravens to punt the ball seven times it just shows you how great the bill's defense is uh, and that's it's scary for the Patriots coming up next week
0: yeah no that, that's a good point before that the, uh, they hadn't punted in, in some ridiculous I think it was like um, you know 20 something possessions no no punts uh, and then yeah, they had to go into the bills like that so I was in New York this weekend and I got to tell you I there was a lot of grown men shedding a little bit of a tear as Eli Manning walked off that field?
1: Well, I was glad that he came in the game. I I know they beat the Dolphins. Of course, the Dolphins are hoping they're losing. They lose, and it was so they have three wins. But uh, I love how the Giants fans gave him a standing ovation. I mean, he looked good. I mean, he played last week against Philadelphia. almost had that game won. and Then he came back in. It's just what, what a class act he is. Uh, we can talk about this later. I do think he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, a tremendous career. He had the two of the biggest wins in the history of the NFL. But it was nice to see he won because winning that game, even his career record to 500, uh, considering he's had some really bad years. Like some of these quarterbacks, like Ben, never had a losing year. He's had some losing years and some winning. The key for Eli is that he's had those two great, phenomenal years. But it was great. Very emotional. And it could be his final game. as a a giant.
0: Um, You know, going out on a high note is what Eli Manning did, and going out on a low note is what the Oakland Raiders did in their last game in Oakland.
1: 327 games in Oakland, uh, the final one, and they're going to go to Vegas, and with the final home game, because their next two games are on the road. They blew a 16-3 lead, and this year had some optimism with Gruden and how they were winning games, and it just all fell apart at the end of the year for the Raiders. Uh, and I just know everybody in Vegas is excited. I mean this is one of those teams where I think the Rams are opening a new stadium they 're playing poorly and it 's bad for ticket sales. Nothing the Raiders could do could dampen ticket sales like this they didn't need they didn't need to win 60 60 you know this year to have everybody in Vegas excited about this team moving there. But I feel bad that Oakland has been one of the greatest places the fans of Oakland have supported this team to come out they moved to, to LA for Twelve years, and then they moved back, and they still were there. And so I feel bad for the for the Oakland fans for losing a team. It's really sad, and they're never going to get another team back. So, but it was I wish you wish they would have come out on a high note. I mean, they had Marcus Allen, Charles Woodson. All the all-time there giving speeches, but uh, unfortunately, they lost their final game at home.
0: Seven twenty-three. It's Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. We're just about that was seven minutes away from uh, uh, Washington Post writer uh, Jesse Doggett joining us here. Talk a little Nationals. Um, I gotta tell you, Ira. I said it last week on this show, and I'm gonna say it again. I think Green Bay is the softest eleven and three team that I've ever seen you, you got to beat your division op- opponents. This game, th- th- you should destroy the Bears. And, and they made uh, you know Mitch Trubisky looking pretty good. I just don't buy this Green Bay team.
1: No, I mean the Bears out had had 415 yards to the Green Bay's 292. they had 21st down. This is a Bears who can't move the ball at all. Had 21st downs to Green Bay's 12. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers looked pedestrian out there, uh, and uh, and still they were at a 26 lead, and it was 21 13, and that final Bears flea flicker was like, so exciting. They got down to the five yard line on a like one of those longest yard plays where they're just laddering like fifth, seven times, and they if literally if they would have laddered to to Rick Cone. Uh, I think he would have scored, and I would have had a chance at least with a two-point conversion, tie the game. But it was a, uh, but it was it was, it was it was it was it was it was a bad loss. Uh, I mean, it was it was a bad loss for Chicago. They're out of the playoffs, but unfortunately for uh, you know Green Bay, clearly, I don't think they, I agree with you. I don't think they look good, but they're 11 and three, and they have a chance to have a home field bye.
0: Yeah, exactly. They, they, they are, you know, now San Francisco fell to fifth uh, um, in, in the NFC. They, they might have to travel to Green Bay or something like that, which would just be crazy. Um, Seattle and Carolina. In this game, Russell Wilson just continues to do everything that you need to do on the football field. I thought you should be beating teams like Carolina by a little bit more than six points, though.
1: I know in a day where they, the week their coach was fired, but look, Seattle, after the loss Seattle had last week against the Rams, I think they were looking for any type of win, So it was, but it was also could have been a game between Russell Wilson and Christian McCaffrey, two people at the season started were, the, were MVP candidates, but Wilson was perfect. He was 286 yards, two touchdowns, and uh, played well, but uh, again, a, a win that I think Seattle needed to make, and, and Carolina has some changes. I mean, they're going to Kyle Allen threw three interceptions. They're moving to Will Greer, the quarterback for West Virginia, who I really like. I think Will Greer is going to do great for them. But Kyle Allen did well, too, but I think Will Greer is going to be, and they're trying to make a determination should Cam Newton come back. So a lot of these teams you have a lot of these teams playing for the playoffs and then others are playing for next year and seeing who, who their quarterback for next year could possibly be.
0: Ira, you want to hear about a bad beat. So the line in Eagles and Redskins was seven points, and up until six seconds left in the game, the Eagles were up by three, and then a fumble on Dwayne Haskins gets taken back. So everyone lost on the point spread there in the final seconds of the game. That was rough, but the Eagles... Doing what they gotta do with basically a decimated team.
1: Well, the Eagles the Eagles were terrible last week against the Giants. They came back and won. They played the Giants and Redskins back to back weeks and they were losing both games, and looked like they were out of both games almost. And when Wentz fumbles the ball, I mean, so it was like they made it to seven-seven. They're playing the Cowboys next week. They're both seven and seven, but uh, the Eagles look terrible. I mean, I, you got to think the Cowboys are going to kill the Eagles. They, they're just barely, I mean, barely beating the Redskins, barely beating the Giants. Uh, and I just think Wentz, play, Wentz played terrible. And uh, uh, but it was. Look, they, at least they're in the play. They're, they're, at least they have a chance to make the playoffs, and they can maybe, and who knows how the Cowboys play. You don't know what Cowboys team's going to show up, but uh, it was a win that the Eagles had to make.
0: Yeah, that Cowboys game was uh, not what I was expecting at all. I didn't think the Rams were going to, you know, after stringing together two nice wins, were going to get blown out by the Cowboys.
1: Well, unbelievable. Last year I saw that game, and the Cowboys, uh, it was uh, the Rams rushed for 273 yards against the Cowboys. This was The other way around. The Cowboys ran for 263 yards, and the Rams ran for 22 yards. I've never seen a differential of 240 yards in a game like that. Um, Total mess. I mean, the the Rams reverted back to Goff being a bad quarterback, uh, Gurley not carrying the ball. Game, a total blowout. And the Rams now fall to eight and six. They take a miracle. They're eight and six. They need Minnesota to lose their final two games. They have to win their final two. The Rams are out of the playoffs. Uh, and for a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, just a terrible way to go. Uh, and the Cowboys look, again, you have no idea. I mean, they could go against the Eagles and lose 50 to nothing. You have no idea what's going to happen. But, again, they, just, they tease you. They're the tease. They came and they looked really, really good in this game. So, but it, but it, it all comes down to next week between the Eagles and Cowboys.
0: Um, Ira, so, you know, I, I spoke here on Ira on Sports before about how I think I can beat the system sometime. I'm better than Vegas. So I'm looking at this game. Minnesota in, in L.A. to play the Chargers. It's a one-point line. And I'm thinking, this should be like six, seven points. The Chargers stink. Minnesota is good. Maybe this is a trick. And the Chargers have something up their sleeve. And boy, was I wrong.
1: Uh, no, there was nothing except they have seven turnovers. This team this year for the Chargers, are five and nine it has been a complete disaster. And I really think that Melvin Gordon and the holdout, some teams the holdouts that affects, doesn't affect. You saw the Ezekiel Elliott situation in Dallas. This really affected this team and I mean you look a lot of people are saying, Oh, if you look at, at the preseason uh Super Bowl, people who said, Well, it's not gonna be New England, it's gonna be San Diego, or, I mean Los Angeles Chargers. But they were terrible and I think playing in the stadium, a lot of things, but uh, but a win that Minnesota had now, they're, 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 they they now play Green Bay next week. I mean, there's so many good games next week. Like, really, it's going to be awesome. But uh, but the, that's going to be the Monday night game, the Minnesota-Green Bay game. But they just a total blowout. Now, Delvin Cook, their star running back, got hurt. But it looks like it was he's going to be healthy for, for next week's game. He's got an extra day to recover. But, uh, but a horrendous game and a horrendous season for the Chargers.
0: And now, uh, you know, the playoffs look like they're shaping up. We kind of know who the teams are going to be. It's a fight for seeds. Tell us about it.
1: Well, really, it comes down to the the Ravens have the first-round buy, and and whether it's going to be the Patriots or the KC – Bills could actually try to get this division and win the division, and that would be that would be amazing. And it comes down to between the Steelers. The Steelers are still at uh, at eight and six, tied with the Texans, but they have the they have the uh, tiebreaker, so they would get in over the Texans. Uh, Steelers have to play the Jets and the Ravens. The Steelers go to the Baltimore for the final game. The Baltimore is everything clinched. Uh, they might have nothing to play for. So I really think the Steelers are in. I think probably the Texans are out. I mean the uh, the Titans are out, and I think Houston's gonna Houston's going to uh, to win that, but. Next week you have Houston at Tampa Bay, Buffalo at New England, uh, Baltimore's at Cleveland, Pittsburgh's the Jets, and KC at Chicago. In the NFC, it really at the it's it's at the NFC it's it's just four teams. If New Orleans wins tonight, four teams at 11 and three: Seahawks, San Francisco, Green Bay, Minnesota at 10 and four. Uh, and then either the Dallas or Philly going to get in. But it's, you're right. We talked about this before. Either the Seahawks or San Francisco, one of them is going to be maybe the one seed, and the other could be the five seed, depending on what happens the last uh, couple weeks of the season. Uh, and, of course, the Dallas-Philly game is on Sunday at 4, and the Green Bay-Minnesota game is on Monday night.
0: Ira, will have um, Jesse Dogherty from the Washington Post here in just one second. But real quick, a busy week in Major League Baseball. Some players are moving around. Tell us quick.
1: Well, clearly the Garrett Cole signing uh, by the Yankees: nine years, three hundred and twenty-four million dollars, thirty-six million dollars, thirty-six million dollars a year. uh, Just. Uh, I mean the Yankees wanted him. It was in, it, the Dodgers were in the race to get get Cole, but just it, it, it's just they're playing the Yankees are playing in a sandbox that nobody else plays in. And for years, the last few years, they they've been talking about the Yankees needing that frontline starter and they got him. And they got there, and he was have been the best pitcher in baseball the last 2 years. And but for 9 years at 324 million, it's just it's a contract you just can't imagine. Strasburg got 7 years Uh, I think one thing that helped the Yankees is that C.C. Sabathia, when they signed him in 2009, they gave him a six-year 150, and they won the World Series that first year. And that that contract was one of the few pitcher contracts for that long length of term that actually worked. Now, this is nine years. It seems ridiculous. But uh, they... The Yankees feel like they have the entire lineup. They have a lot of young players they are not paying a lot of money to. They have also pitchers, you know, payroll like Tanaka that's going to come off the payroll. But they were not going to be outbid. I mean, they drafted Cole in the first round. Uh, they drafted Cole uh, in, in they dra- in the uh, whenever he came out of high school, and then he decided to go back to college. And then he was drafted first by the Pirates. They may try to make the trade for the Pirates. The Astros traded him two years ago. And, uh, but they finally, you could tell that's the person they wanted. And the Dodgers were in it till the end, and they offered supposedly $300 million, but still weren't able to close the deal uh, to get him.
0: You're listening to Iron Sports, the true oldies channel. It's 7.32. Having some issues connecting with uh, Jesse Doggerty of the Washington Post. We're going to try to get him uh, not, not not, able to get his phone um, queued up over here. Do, uh, there was a, a ton of other move- well, but By the way, Iron, did you happen to see Garrett Cole? Um, now that he's a Yankee, you've got to be clean cut. He does not look like the same person with a haircut and no beard. Have you seen this picture?
1: Yes. I mean, it's. Look, this is going to be one of those contracts and people say, well, if the Yankees win the World Series, then it all will all work out in the end. Um, I don't think that's the case. They're going to need to win multiple World Series. I mean, this is not just one. This is not a one World Series thing. You don't pay someone nine years, $324 million just to get it. But, but um, if you look at their lineup with Luis Severino uh, – they have Herman, uh, Montgomery, some young pitchers, and plus with uh, Aaron Judge and Tor- Labor Torres. I mean, they're set to go. And uh, the Dodgers, though, have not made any moves. And that's, I mean, this is really – I mean, this is a bad – the Dodgers can play with the Yankees. They have the payroll. They have everything. They chose not to match it. Um, and I think it's going to hurt them. The other team that I want to bash right now is the Pirates because the Pirates had a chance. I mean, they – the Pirates totally blew this. They traded. They had him for at like $3.5 million and $13.5 and with arbitration for eight years, 27 and 28. And they traded him to Houston for Colin Moran, Moran Joe Musgrove, Michael Felis, and Jason Martin just for no players at all. Now, this is a – Player that the Yankees are willing to pay $36 million a year to. The Pirates, you could have had him for, for a few million dollars a year. The Pirates should have been able to get a top of the line player. Give an example. The Yankees had Chapman as their closer. When they were out of the playoff, they traded him to the Cubs. They got Glaber Torres back. Then then all Chapman did was pitch for like two months, win the World Series for the Cubs, and then re-sign with the Yankees. The Pirates got nothing for Cole. It's a total disaster. And you listen to Cashman talk about this. He's like, well, the, the he wasn't even given a chance to match the Astros off. Offer. So I really, I mean, as a Pirate fan, what this this this, Garrett Cole should have been traded for a player that is the cornerstone for the Pirates or a couple of players instead of nothing. So I think the Pirates are a big loser of this, and the Dodgers are a big loser.
0: Um, I, Iris, so what else was going on here? There's a lot of moves. Well, I, 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 don't want to talk about it like this, but why do you think the Pirates have trouble developing a lot of these pitchers? They get these prospects that you know I follow the minors intently, and you're looking at guys like this, and you these guys are going to be the next superstar. They don't get developed correctly. You guys in Baltimore seem to do the same thing, and these uh, players can leave and then finally make that next step to become a superstar.
1: Well, I just think the, I think the Pirates, I, it's, it's probably the worst run. I mean, you talk about some teams like the Orioles and the Tigers. I mean, when you look at the Yankees next year, uh, they won 103 games. Uh, with They had injuries at almost every position. They had pitchers that were injured. It was a disaster. I mean, they should have won like 85 games. But they won 103. This year, if you've got to think they're going to stay healthier. Now they took Cole from the Astros, and they brought him to their team. I mean, they're going to be loaded. They're going to win 120 games, and they're going to destroy the bad teams like the Tigers and the Orioles. And then in the in the National League, the Pirates are going to be terrible too. Like, I, again, I just I don't think it's a, it's a question of development. I just think the Pirates, every decision they make is wrong. They're trading Sterling Marte this year. They're probably going to make another mistake. Every player they've had, they trade. It's incorrect. And it, and it's it's what's happening in baseball is you're getting these the Marlins, the Pirates, the Tigers, the Orioles, these bottom teams that are going to win like forty, fifty games. It's a joke.
0: No, it absolutely is. And a couple of other big moves around baseball. Uh, any anything else you want to highlight?
1: Well, Anthony Rendon from the Nationals signing with the Angels. Uh, seven years, $245 million. The Angels then went and made, you know, again, Rendon was, was supposed as a third baseman, the superstar for the Nationals. The Nationals had the choice, Rendon or Strasburg. They chose Strasburg, and Rendon, who was a key to the World Series, goes with the Angels two, seven years, $245 million. Um, last year he had 34 home runs, 126 RBIs. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the Angels are trying to put him with trout and give another, I mean, again, trying to match the Dodgers to some extent. But, uh, I mean, when you look at the American League, though, I mean, they, they, again, the Yankees took the best player from their competition, the Astros. The Red Sox are a complete mess. The Angels are just trying to get better. The Yan- there's no competition for the uh, Yankees at all. They're going to run away with the, with, the, uh, with the American League. Now, the National League is, is a lot tighter and with a lot of opportunities from all these teams. But, but the Yankees, I just can't see anyone within 20 games of them in, in the American League. And the other big move was Madison Bumgarner. So years ago, Madison Bumgarner won three World Series, most biggest clutch pitcher in that you could imagine. Last two years, he's had injuries, but some of the injuries were like from a dirt bike accident and then hurting his pinky on a, on a ball. So it weren't, weren't like serious type injuries. He hasn't pitched that great the last year. Nine and nine, had like a three-something URA. But the, the, the Giants were terrible. But he signed a five-year, $85 million contract to Arizona? I mean, I, he, this is a player that should have gone to the, the Dodgers, who desperately need starting pitching. Should have signed Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I was just shocked at the size of the contract: five years, 85 million. And people said, "Oh my God, he'll never go to go to the Dodgers because he uh, he'll never go to the Dodgers because uh, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't like there's a rivalry between the Giants and Dodgers." Well, for another 15 or 20 million, I think he would have gone to the Dodgers. And if they were willing to spend 300 million on Cole, I, I don't understand. I mean, Bob Gardner at 16, 17 million a year was a total bargain. So
0: I, I this is what baffles me about this one is you had Zach Grinky and, and you gave him to the Astros and granted you got prospects back these weren't superstars and, and the Astros had a loaded um, a loaded minor league system you got back Seth Beer who's going to be I, I I would think an okay player so you kind of downgrade why would you not have just kept Grinky from from the beginning this one kind of is a head scratcher to me.
1: No, the the. <laughs> Arizona is a mess. I mean, you have no idea what they're doing. They, they signed, they're they like the Marlins. I mean, the Marlins like, oh, we're going to admit it that we're not going to be in it. And then they have their play, Robbie Ray, who they think they're going to they're trade anyways. So I have no idea what, the, what Arizona does. Um, but, it's, I mean, again, some of these teams, you think that they know what they're doing, and I don't. I don't think they know what they're doing, and it's just a mess.
0: And uh, I wanted to bring this up or just mention it to you. What would you have done if you were the Washington Nationals? You go with Strasburg, or would you have gone with Rendon?
1: I think that I would have tried to do them both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these, these are billionaire owners, and they would do it. I think. I think it was a team. I think I would have tried to br- to bring both of the players back. But I think Rendon. The more you think about this, I think he wanted, He's from the area. I mean, he's from Texas, but there's some some affinity he had to for the Angels and to go there. Um, and he made a comment. He goes, "I don't want to. I didn't want to play in Hollywood, which is ridiculous because it's in in Orange County. But again, when you go, look, when you play the East Coast, everyone watches your game. You come to the West Coast. I mean, people do not see Mike Trout play." So you are hidden in the fact that if you go and certainly one thing to play for a Dodgers, the other thing with the Angels, which is sort of you know no one in the East Coast is way is watching baseball at one o'clock in the morning.
0: You know, Ira, another move here that wasn't a free agent signing, but a real head scratcher to me is the Indians trading Corey Kluber, their ace, to the to the Texas Rangers. Didn't really get a very good haul back in this one. So, uh, you know, I'm ba- I, granted, Corey Kluber's velocity has been down a little bit. He was mediocre last year and I think, just nine starts before breaking his arm. Uh, th- this one didn't make much sense to me, though. I mean, is it a salary dump for a team that, you know, should be looking to compete for a World Series?
1: Um, again, that's the advantage the, the Yankees have. The American League is a joke. I mean, who's their competition? Cleveland? Should it be a team on the rise? They're getting rid of their players. Minnesota last year, they totally destroyed. The Red Sox are a complete mess. They are a mess last year. They have Chris Sale, who they don't know how he's going to be healthy or not. They have two pitchers they pay. $60 million, two can't stay healthy. There's just no competition. And the one team, you would look to say, boy, I think the Indians could give the Yankees a run. They're not going to give the Yankees a run. They're getting rid of all their players. It's a joke. The American League, I want to say, I've never seen uh, in any... You, we were talking about the Golden State Warriors have an advantage over uh, over something. The Yankees next year, it's just going to be... They play these teams like 16, 17 times. They're going to be destroying everybody in, in the American League. And, and, and especially, I just... I I'm just I'm going to bet the over. I mean the over the over under is like 101. And I think it's a, it's the surest bet in sports that the Yankees are going to win over 101 games.
0: It's 7:40. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It doesn't seem like we're going to be able to get uh, Jesse Dogerty from the uh, Washington Post on so hopefully we can uh, connect with him next week. Ira in Golf. I was really excited for this President's Cup and it was a good one.
1: Oh, it was uh um, it was unbelievable. I, I land. I, I, I land the plane at uh, in, in Pittsburgh to go to the game, and so this is a funny story. So I land and I go to the airport. It's like. 10 30 at night. I'm flying spirit, so I couldn't have I couldn't hear I couldn't have no Wi-Fi or anything. And I land and I'm like, okay, I gotta you know see what's happening in the President's Cup for the final. It's Sunday, but it's Saturday night. And at the same time, so I've I've won my laptop out and I'm watching the President's Cup. And my iPad, I'm watching the fight, the Terrence Crawford fight. And <laughs> and the one thing you gotta do is you can't scream at the airport. And when Crawford got knocked down in the third round, I scream, and then when they when Kuchar makes that putt, I scream too, and everyone's like, look at you and like don't worry, I'm crazy. I'm just watching sports, <laughs> but it was just, it was, it was. But this Presidents Cup was great to watch. I, I, I just think I love the format. I love everything about it, and the fact it was on in the evening, you can watch it. It was easier to watch. It. Everything about it was great. It was, you know, as, I, as we said before, twelve players on a team, uh, eight automatic picks, four others. Tiger Woods was the captain and a player. Ernie Els was the international captain. And the one thing, it's not like the Ryder Cup where they're all Europeans. This is all international, and usually America dominates this because these players are from China, or from India, and from South Africa, and from Australia. Like, they're not from the same area. Like, the European players know each other that play the European tour. These international players don't know each other, but Ernie Els did a great job. I mean, the Americans were, like, this humongous favorite to win this, and you didn't know hardly any of the international players, but he used analytics. He was, like, a captain. He was rah-rah. I I thought Els did, did great, and so it made it interesting, and I think what so great about it was to see Tiger. I mean, Tiger came out that first day with Justin Thomas, and uh, and, and he played the first two days in the in the foursomes. So there's one where you play the you play foursomes where you just play your own ball, or four that's foursomes is uh, where you play one player hits then you hit, and then four balls so you just play your best ball. But Tiger went out both days with, 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 with uh, Justin Thomas and won, and he was carrying Justin Thomas. I mean, they, Justin Thomas was a disaster. I mean, on the foursomes, Justin Thomas was hitting terrible shots, and Tiger was hitting these great recoveries. I mean, he looked uh, like the best player in the world, which he is probably right now, in winning those first two days. But in that first day, the, the Americans, they played five matches. They were down 4-1. I mean, it was it was crazy, and the international jumped up. And the second day, almost the exact same thing, where the where the where the international team uh, uh, um, took the took the lead when they had it. And then on Sat, the question was what was going to happen on Friday when they have the two. So America going into that was down nine five was actually not nine five. They were down six and a half to three and a half. And Tiger chose to sit out the entire day. And people like, oh my gosh, why would Tiger sit out? But if you watched it, you saw that he was really involved with his team. And I think by sitting out, I think it was a smart move for him because it, it sort of gave—I mean, it worked for it worked. So it was a smart move. But I think it was like, If it, if Tiger was not the captain, and this was like Freddie Couples that made the decision, people would been on Couples. Like, how do you let how do you sit Tiger Woods after he's two and O and looks like the best player out there? But I think it was a great move for him, and he was able to follow the action for those two days. And even though America was down nine to five. Uh, they were able to they were able to come back and make it ten eight and the big story on that day was Patrick Reed who was becoming a complete disaster on the on the tour he was at the 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 Bahamas the Hero World Challenge which is really a, it's a PGA Tour event but it's not that it's not like the most competitive event you could imagine it's like eighteen golfers and it's fun I mean he was caught cheating twice by standing off by taking a sand off his club. And so people were were giving, heckling him in Australia, where the tournament was, where the where the Presidents Cup was. But it wasn't like horrendous heckles. But his caddy, who is his wife's brother, went into the <laughs> and pulled a Steve Williams and went. But worse than Steve Williams, he went and punched the fan. Uh, and so then he had to take it off the bag. And Reed was just a mess and losing, and it was just. I don't know what, I mean, I don't know, but he came out for a singles that did well, but that was like the big story of the day. Uh, but, and also the fact that Fowler uh, um, and Thomas were up, they, they were up they, uh, five to nothing. They were up at hole five. They had a five-hole shot a five hole lead, hole ten on a five-shot lead to Leishman and Abraham answer, and they actually blew the entire lead. I mean, just bogeying every single hole the rest of the way, and they, they only tied it. But going into singles, uh, Tiger, so Abraham answer goes, I want to play, I'm i am zero and one I want to play Tiger. So, Tiger goes, okay, you've got me. And then he led off against answer and, and, and beat him 3-2. and two. Reed won, uh, Dustin Johnson won, and Woodland won. And it came down to, uh, it came down, to, it was like 15-12 Americans, and then Justin Thomas lost to Cameron Smith, which is a which is a really bad loss and, uh, in terms of that. But Kuchar ended up uh, uh, having a hole and then proving to win. because you had to get 15 and a half points. They ended up winning 16 to 14. But the takeaway that Tiger was tremendous, I think he was the, the players, the American players loved playing for him. You could see how emotional he was. Um, and I think it sets up well for, for Tiger for next year and for golf. I mean, I think it was fun to watch this event, and I think it's going to make it more exciting in two years, or even for the Ryder Cup coming up next year.
0: Um, No, I I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Seeing Tiger play like that and and just the way he interacts with with a lot of these younger guys, it's fun to watch, and it's great for golf, in my opinion. Let's talk a little Heisman Trophy. Joe Burrow, it was a landslide victory, and i got to say, in my opinion, well-deserved.
1: Well, this is the most prestigious individual trophy in all of sports. I mean, I, I guess someone might say, well, if you're the MVP of the World Cup, uh, player, uh, that would be one thing every four years. But in terms of a yearly award, uh, and, and it, it was started to be given in 1935 to the best college athlete, and then it was named after John Heisman from University of Pennsylvania. Died. He never won the Heisman, but he was a great player. So he died, and they named it after him. Oklahoma's won it six times, a player. Ohio State players won it six. Notre Dame's won it six. Archie Griffin's only the player to win it twice, and it's primarily offensive. Charles Woodson won it. From Michigan as a defensive and offensive player, uh, but the best the defensive players ever finished was Hugh Green, finished second for Pitt, and Monte Teo from Notre Dame, famously the year that he had his issues, uh, finished second. But uh, um, it's interesting. There's two trophies given one to the player and one to the school. And after, like the last 10 years, you can't sell the trophies. But these trophies have actually been sold for like $400,000. Uh, and there's a whole story on ESPN, which if anyone has a chance to read, it's great about what happened to OJ's trophy. There was a O.J. Simpson had a trophy that he then sold and for to pay his debts in terms of a lawsuit against Ron Goldman. But there was the trophy was there was a trophy that was in USC that was stolen. And some guy uh, was, was stole the trophy and was like a homeless person and living on the streets with the trophy for years. And then when he was put, put in prison for things, he buried it and then came out and then took the trophy back. And eventually, after like 15, 16 years, he returned the trophy. It's just an amazing story about how this trophy was all around Los Angeles on the streets. And they actually got another trophy from the, from the Heisman Foundation. So there's actually three OJ trophies. But uh, um, Burrow, a big win for him. It was the largest uh, victory in terms of he had, he had um, 841 first-place votes, and Jalen Hurts had 12, and Jace Young had 6, and Justin Fields had 20. So it was a total runaway uh, win for him. And, uh, and, and, and he's probably going to be the number one player taken in the NFL draft, and now this, this is the chance Is he going to win the national championship? Because no player has won the Heisman has won the national mm-hmm. championship since we had the playoff format. Um, The only thing I take away I take from the Heisman, though, is I think Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, and J.K. Tobbins of Ohio State, two running backs. Should have been there. I think it was a mistake. I mean, they both rushed for almost 1,900 yards, had 20 touchdowns. Uh, Taylor's run for more yards than any person has ever had in six years, in the first three years, beat well, Herschel Walker's record. And I'm, I don't know what this is. I mean, if they're only going to give it to, if they're only going to have quarterbacks and maybe a token defensive person, I don't know why they even have it. They should just call it the quarterback award, because they're not going to award it to, I mean, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins deserve to be in New York, and I think over uh, Hertz and Justin Fields.
0: No, that that's a good point. And of course yeah, it has skewed heavily quarterbacks lately. Um on that note though, Joe Burrow, the Bengals are going to pick first. Are you in the Tua camp here or are you Joe Burrow all the way if you're the if you're the Bengals?
1: Well, I don't think who is going to be drafted early. I think it's injuries issues. I think Joe Burrow is someone who keeps improving. He's from Ohio. I don't think he's afraid of anything. He, he, he gave his, his acceptance speech. He talked about how he went to Ohio State. They, he played for Urban Meyer. He didn't feel like he was getting a shot there at Ohio State and then transferred to LSU. And I think he would relish the chance to go back to Cincinnati. I don't think this is a guy that – I think he's someone who's like a perfect fit uh, for the Bengals. And I think he's someone who's going to go there. I think I think they're looking for that. I mean, he he has all the skills. His accuracy is 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 tremendous. His arm strength is there, and he and he shows how he can run with the ball. And he just keeps improving. I and mean, you want someone who keeps getting better and improving. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a no-brainer that the Bengals are going to take him number one.
0: You know, Ira, the other you know way to go with that, and it's not the craziest thing. I, I've heard quite a few uh, you know members of the media like us talking about. The fact of it doesn't matter if you're the Bengals, you know, and needing the first pick, you take Chase Young because he could be a generational talent here. And you know, granted, quarterbacks are a little hit and miss and they're saying, you know, Chase Young's going to be better than the Bosa's, like th- this kid's so good, worry about a quarterback in the second round or trade up because you want Chase Young. Any uh, you know, if you, if you're running the Bengals, any shot that you do that?
1: No, I think I think Joe Burrow is almost a can miss. I, mean, I think I think if you can have a can't-miss quarterback, you got to take it. Um, I don't. I, co- I don't see him. Uh, I see him as being a star, and, uh, he, and he's just. He's just. He's just. You He's playing with um, NFL quality wide receivers with Jefferson and Chase uh, at LSU, and you see how he connects. And I like the fact also he. What makes it impressive with Joe Burrow is he plays at such a warp speed. He's so smart. He's making quick decisions on the, on the field. Uh, you just see, I mean, I would like to – you would probably bring his offense coordinator, Joe Brady, and bring him in maybe if you have a team. But uh, LSU plays at such – and we're going to see in the playoffs, look, they're going uh, to play Oklahoma, they're going to play Ohio State and Clemson and, and one of those. So it's going to be exciting to see that. But I just think that he is – He's he's the perfect quarterback for today's NFL, and I think he's going to have a great career.
0: It's Iron Sports on the True Oldies Channel seven fifty one. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring on George Hal Colt. He's the author of the game Harvard versus Yale in nineteen sixty eight. George, thank you so much for joining us here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: Iron, what do you have for George?
1: George, your book is tremendous. Um, I absolutely loved it. I'm telling you, oh, thank was, you. it was it, it is one of the best books. I it's like you're writing. And I knew that, I, I watched all of sports all the time, so I knew what the outcome of the game was, but as I'm reading the book about the uh, Harvard-Yale game in 1968, I almost thought there was going to be a different outcome. That's how well you presented it, and I just thought it was, it was absolutely uh, tremendous, and for anyone who knows, it's one of the greatest games ever played in 1968 between Harvard and Yale. Um, talk about the rivalry a little between Harvard and Yale, the fact that they weren't the first two teams to play. They, Princeton and Rutgers were, but but over the years, how it really defined what football became.
2: Well, yeah, uh, uh, as you as you mentioned, Princeton Princeton's and Princeton and Rutgers got there five years earlier, and Harvard and Yale have always uh, suffered a little bit by being the second uh, sort of second string to that. But really, for the next about forty years, uh, which would take you through uh, the year nineteen hundred and into the nineteen twenties, Harvard and Yale dominated. Uh, the national football scene, both on the field and also off. They sort of invented the game, uh, the college game as we know it today. Uh, Walter Camp, of course, uh, was a Yale man, and uh, uh, he w- he invented a lot of the rules. Harvard also uh, uh, kicked in um, some rule changes as well, but the, the, those two schools... They dominated uh, the, the talk uh, of college football uh, until about 1920, and then other teams began to come on strong, Michigan, Army, Navy, etc. and, of course, um, Harvard and Yale began to fade, uh, but the Harvard-Yale game would retain its kind of status as a, as a great
1: national social event right up through the 60s, I would say. Yeah, I love your quote from the book where one of the Yale coaches said in nineteen sixteen says, You will never do anything more important right before the Harvard game, he says, You will never do anything more important than than your in, in your life than playing this game against Harvard. Of course they were going you know, yes. these are players that were probably gonna go fight in World War One and do all those other things. So it was Exactly. It was definitely and, and that. Of and, course, even after they came home from World War One, who knows? Maybe they still
2: felt that the Harvard Yale game was the most important thing. It was <laughs> it was huge in those days.
1: And what I liked about the book, the character development. I mean, you spent what was great. What I liked about the book is you spent like 150, 200 pages uh, about pages of the book talking about all these different players who played in the game, and 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 it, it's like a play, like getting to to really get vested in them. And then you laid out the game the right way. I mean, you're not really a true sports writer. It was it was it was almost it was a, it was like watching a movie. It, it was almost like it wasn't even true how you're writing this. But it was also that game in 1968 was. Everything was happening. You have the war movement and the anti-war movement. The, uh, women, the with the Vietnam War, the, the fact that Yale didn't have any w- women admitted, and then suddenly people, women, were saying we demanded, and then a year later, 500 women were admitted to Yale. The issue of race relations. You have all that going on throughout Harvard in terms of the Harvard player who who fell out of Harvard and went to the Vietnam War, was fighting the Vietnam War, and then came back on that team, and uh, and then the fact that Harvard's their best player, uh, Tyson, stopped playing football. To to do work with the race relations and, and handle that, even though the Dallas Cowboys wanted him to be on his team, so there was it was the, everything that was going around in 1968 added importance to that game. And that's really why I wrote the book. I
2: was at the game. I was 14 years old in 1968, and it really was an extraordinarily. Thrilling game, and of course Harvard and Yale had both come into the game undefeated. They were both nationally ranked. Yale was ranked ahead of Nebraska and uh, Al- and Alabama uh, during that year, and so forth. So they were, you know, good football teams then. But I was, if it had happened in 1958 or 1978, I wouldn't have written the book because what I was interested in were how those players navigated that incredibly tumultuous year you know what did they do about the draft how did they keep their mind on football did they keep their mind on football who did they vote for nixon or humphrey who did they prefer malcolm x or martin luther king i mean that i assume you were alive then maybe not but they that was such an amazing watershed year and i just wanted to know how these 18 19 20 21 year old football players who played in this extraordinary game how they dealt with that time how they'd gone through that
1: year well, and I also like the fact of unification in terms of what I love about sports is that it brings together a lot of people with different views. And we were, we were going to talk about the Nationals today on the show, about how a town that is split between Republicans and Democrats, Trump and anti-Trump, the fact that the Nationals you bring everybody together. And it's almost that's when you talk about the book between Yale and Harvard, that Everybody sort of had their issues with different things. Whether you were, as I said, the people that were fighting in Vietnam and the people that were pro uh, Nixon, and then and then the anti-war people, but it but it, it galvanized in terms of everyone was for their team—the Harvard and Yale team, each of them—and I think that was. It's something of the power of sports, whereas we can actually come together as one like nothing more than just like fighting you know in a country, but at least we 're not fighting a battle we 're just fighting sports and enjoying competition from from that and I think that's what was neat about your book and how you how you let layered that and 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 writing people think about Harvard and Yale and think about these elite. Uh, uh, people that comes from elite backgrounds, and you mentioned how these players were not. I mean, the, the, the second string quarterback from Harvard, who was the star of the game, came from a town right next to Cambridge, but but grew up very poor and, and went there and became a star. And it, all the different people from the, d- the players were from different backgrounds.
2: Yes, and it was, a, um, and that's what made the 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 fact that it was a tie so sort of deliciously uh, ironic. Uh, because here in the midst of this polarized time with all these different types of people, um, they, they came together to uh, – they didn't intend to, but they created this kind of moment of – I came to think of it as kind of like a miraculous truce in the middle of, the year, of a year that was so polarized. And, of course, as you say, um, both on the teams – Uh, On the Harvard team, for instance, there was that player who'd come back from from Vietnam. He served nine months leading a platoon in combat in Vietnam and was very pro-war. And he came back and played on the same team as two guys who were members of Students for Democratic Society, radical anti-war group. But as they all told me, once they got to the field... All of those differences were totally forgotten, and they joined together. And that was also true, of course, for their fans. These campuses that were so divided um, among students and, of course, between students and administrators and alumni – they would all go out on Saturday afternoon and watch these two marvelous football teams play. And, you know, these hippies, anti-war hippies, would be getting along with these very conservative Republican alumni, and they'd all be rooting for their, for their team. So it really did bring together people. And, and I think, you know, as you point out, I think
1: it still does. I thought it was so wonderful that the Nationals won
2: the World Series this year.
1: Yeah, and then you mentioned, I mean, the one thing about the game, and I go to a ton of sporting events. It was just at the Bill Steelers game. I've been to 50 World Series games, 50 NBA Finals games, Super Bowls. But when you describe this game, I wanted to be there at it. Like, it would have been – like, you wrote how, like – it. Harvard was not supposed to be undefeated, but they happened to be undefeated. Yale was supposed to be great, and with this guy Brian Dowling, who, who turned down USC, and they took O.J. Simpson instead, and, and Calvin Hill, who we know is Grant Hill's father, but who went on to be a star for the Cowboys. And so they that you come to this game as a $300 ticket, um, all that excitement for that game it'd be so, It would just would have been amazing to have you, and you. I'm feel, you're, I feel you uh, feel whatever jealous that you were actually witnessed that game.
2: Well, I feel very lucky that I was there. Um, and it's, it's a game that I will, remembered for a long time and certainly um, will never forget. And of course, so many people, Harvard fans, 5,000 Harvard fans left the game early because Yale got so far ahead. The Harvard fans essentially gave up. And then, of course, they weren't there to see Harvard score 16 points in 42 seconds to tie the game and, of course, inspire the famous headline in the Harvard Crimson uh, that captured the emotional sort of tenor of the game, which was Harvard beats Yale 29-29. And of course, um, Calvin Hill, now that you mention him, he didn't really, he was so, uh, he thought that Yale had actually lost. And it wasn't until the following Monday when he read the Yale Daily News, the student newspaper that talked about the 29-29 tie, that he realized that Yale and Harvard had in fact tied. He thought Yale had lost because The Yale team and the Yale fans were so despondent. The Harvard team and the Harvard fans were absolutely overjoyed. Um, It was as if the one, one sports writer wrote that the Harvard fans, it was as if the war had ended. Then they were all so happy.
1: Right, and I mean the game was. I mean, I knew what the score of the game was, and I'm reading the book, and it's it's 29-13 with a minute 13 left. And you had mentioned how Yale is putting in like their people to get their letters, and the fans were coming down and congratulating the Yale players. Uh, the some of the Yale coaches left to get cigars to celebrate. All the Harvard fans were leaving the game, and 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 then the the thing was that Harvard's coach was a kicker, so he had practiced onside kicks all the time, and the Yale coach uh, thought that you just leave your same people up there, and, and don't worry about the on-site kick, but, but even it, to get to that point, the yellow totally dominated the game, and, and it was just the, the most the miraculous comeback you could ever imagine and, uh, to make it a tie.
2: Yes, well, you know, all of the players, when they see the game film if, if, you know, in the intervening years, they can't believe that it comes out in a tie, and I've probably watched the game film maybe 15 times while I was researching this book. Even on the 15th time, I kept having to think, wait, How is this possible? How is this going to work out? Who does what? Even though I'd seen it 15 times, I still can't believe that a team could come back from that far. Now, of course, in this year's Harvard-Yale game, Yale came back from a, I think it was a 12-point, maybe 14-point deficit in a minute and 20 seconds. So they came very close, uh, and they they forced uh, the game to go into uh, double overtime. Uh, uh, When they eventually won it. Um, So they sort of got a little bit of revenge on Harvard for the famous 1968 tie game.
1: So, while well, we're talking to George Howe Cold, and just one more question, George, because you've got to finish up the show. But I, um, I, I saw that from the book, I mean, Harvard had an offensive lineman, Tommy Lee Jones, who came on to, is one of the most famous actors in the Fugitive and Batman movies and everything. And one of the Yale players was dating Meryl Streep. So, you have a lot of celebrity actors and everything involved in this. Is there any chance, like, this should be a movie? I mean, this should, this, is there any, have you talked to people about making this a movie?
2: Well, I uh, I I haven't. Um, I'm I'm open to all offers. Of course, one of the I got the idea from a, the uh, There's a documentary movie that was made ten years ago, eleven years ago now about this very game. It's a wonderful movie. It's called Harvard Btl 2929 by a wonderful documentary filmmaker named Kevin Rafferty, and in it he interviews the players and they talk about what happened in the game. And I was inspired by that film. But what I wanted to know was who the players were. Back then, when they were 18, 19, 20 years old, and how they dealt with 1968. So I was fascinated by the game, remembered it well, but I also wanted to place
1: it in the context
2: um, of this uh, watershed year in American history.
1: Well, again, I appreciate – I would suggest anyone read the book. It's a great read. You don't have to like Harvard or Yale if you just love football. And you just love a great book. Your writing style is great and your character development. I mean, I just – and then I liked you know, like a 30-page epilogue where I wanted to find out what all these guys did that I was reading about for the whole book, what they were doing the rest of your life. So <laughs> I really appreciate the book. I love it. I suggest you can buy it on Barnes & Noble and Amazon and, and everything on it's in paperback and hardback and, and pick it up at any store or, on, or online as an e-book. So, George, thank you so much for coming on and uh, I really appreciate talking about the book.
2: Well, thank you. It's really been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it.
1: It's
0: 8.04. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, I didn't think that the Lakers were going to be as good as they are. It's getting a little scary out there in Cali. I'll
1: tell this. The Lakers played the Heat this weekend. It was, You know that LeBron has a good team when he plays in Miami. Yep.
0: Because you remember when he
1: played all those years in Cleveland? He would always get hurt, never play, never this. He never went to lose in Miami. Well, he played and he won. And this Thursday, we're going to talk about the NBA next. We've got some guests coming on. It's going to be great. But, but this Thursday, the 24 and 3 Bucks have won 19 games in a row, play the 24 and 3 Lakers in Milwaukee. And if you ever had a big game early this in the season, the two best teams in the league are playing on Thursday night on TNT. It's almost like a must watch NBA game in December.
0: It, it is crazy, uh, and, and I'll definitely be tuning in for that one. Uh, what's going on in Fighting, I?
1: I told you, I watched the Crawford-Kavalaskis fight. Um, Crawford's one of the considered maybe the number one pound-for-pound fighter. got knocked down in the third. They didn't count as a knockdown, but it was a great fight. Uh, Kavalaskis from Lithuania and ended up winning that fight, so it sets Crawford, Terrence Crawford up in the, in the welterweight to fight anyone. And then after that was over, I mean, the UFC likes to f- start their fights, I think, at like 2 in the morning now, because I, I then drove where I was going back in my hotel, and it's like 1.32, and I'm like, can I catch the, the UFC fights? And I got Max Holloway uh, lost, he was a featherweight champion of the world, to Alexander Volonovsky in a, in a great match. I mean, Holloway had won 14 in a row, five straight defenses, and he hadn't lost since he, since he lost to Conor McGregor in 2013. And then the main event on this UFC card, the 245, was Kamora Usman, who's a Nigerian nightmare, beat Colby Cum- Cum- Cummingham uh, for the welterweight title. Another, I mean, it was a great match. I mean, each one had gone to had won two rounds going into the final round, and Usman had with the latest knockout of a fight. He had, he knocked uh, Covington out with like ten seconds to go. I was one, I think, the second or third latest in a UFC fight. But a great UFC card. I just don't know why they're starting so late. I mean, I, I mean, I know they're getting great attendance at these things who are watching it, but I mean, it, it did not finish till two in the morning. But uh, but again, McGregor, the big thing with the UFC is McGregor, Conor McGregor, the biggest star, I think, in in mixed martial arts and in boxing is back on January 18th at 246, uh, UFC 246 on January 18th.
0: Ira, before we go tonight, Saints, Colts, you're getting nine and a half points. If you're taking Indy, what do you like?
1: You know, I like the underdogs in these games I, when they're so big. I just think the saints are ready to go. I mean, I think they see everybody else. It's sort of like they watch everyone else is going to be eleven and three. They know that if they don't get, they don't win they're going to they're going to lose that first round by. Um, I think they're raring to go. I think the Saints are going to blow the Colts. The Colts have been leaking oil. I think they lost four four of their last five games. They play terrible. I really – I'm looking for a blowout game tonight. And this is – there's no Thursday night game. There's three Saturday games, and there's a Monday night game next week, and then that's it. So we're done with all these midweek games. Everything's going to be. So season's almost over, but this is – I'm excited for tonight's game.
0: I'm with you, Ira. I'll take the uh, nine-and-a-half and and take the Saints. I think the Colts are – yeah, like you said, leaking oil is a good term for this team uh, right now. Ira, before we go, where you get. Where are you heading this week?
1: Steelers-Jets. i got to hold on. So we're going to go to MetLife and see if the Steelers can hang on for their season. And I'm excited. I haven't been to a Steelers game at MetLife ever. So in New York, that's a stadium in New York where the Giants and Jets both play. But excited for that game.
0: We are out of time. I want to thank George Howe Colt so much for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.